0: And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.
1: Welcome to What is Going On For new thought from the edge of Om. Each week on Om Times' flagship radio show, veteran broadcaster, author, and media consultant Sandy Sedgbeer conducts thought-provoking interviews with inspirational authors, artists, musicians, scientists, speakers, and filmmakers who are working at the point where spirituality and science meet consciousness at the very edge of OM. Here is your host, Sandy Sedgbeer.
2: Hello and welcome and today we're going to be unravelling a conundrum that has been confusing, frustrating and dividing men and women since the beginning of time and that is why no matter how much time we spend together as work colleagues, friends, lovers, partners or relatives we still don't understand how each other thinks, relates to and operates in the world. With me to throw some much-needed science-based light on this situation, a world-renowned expert on gender diversity and inclusive leadership, Barbara Annis, who's the author of several books on gender intelligence, including the very aptly titled, Same Words, Different Language, and naturopathic medical doctor, research scientist, global health educator, and winner of the prestigious Hope Award for Prevention and Education in Behavioral Health Dr. Denise Warden, Barb Annis, Dr. Denise Warden, welcome.
3: Thank you, Thank you so much,
2: Barb Annis, If I might start with you, explain to me what gender intelligence is and why we need
3: to develop this. Well, gender intelligence is really the hardwiring of the brain of men and women, and um, what's really fascinating to me is that we have we didn't know that. Um, several years ago. So we didn't understand gender differences in the brain until 1990. Before that, we only studied male brains and male animals, which is insane. But the, the misunderstanding was that uh, scientists assumed that men, women were more or less the same as men, just a smaller version, other than the bikini factor. They actually called it that. And what they found was that they actually there are some really uh, profound, dramatic gender differences in how our brains are wired. And how that lands lands is that we misinterpret one another because we don't understand the differences in communication, in how we uh, relate to one another, how we problem solve, how we think strategically, and so on. This is an enormous topic,
2: um, and I really can't describe how big it is, but it affects every single thing about us. We think that perhaps it's only in relationships or only in the workplace, but actually this this impacts us on every single biological, psychological, emotional, and mental level as well, doesn't it?
3: Yeah, it does. And it also impacts relationship in terms of our personal relationship. Like we know divorce rates is high in, in first divorce. Second, it's even higher. And third, it's even higher. So it's around 50% first marriages and between 70 to 72% second and the same in third. So it's not like we've we've sorted this out. You know, we really misinterpret our differences and the problem with that is we blame our differences right so we tend to blame men for literally breathing you know men tend to communicate and breathe differently and if we don't know that we don't know that we misinterpret people's intentions yeah yeah
2: yeah and most of your work is done in the workplace i mean rather than personal relationships although what you're working with as you said does affect us on every single level Mm -hmm. Um, what have you noticed recently? I mean, now that this evidence is here, are companies taking it on board more? And what is happening when they do?
3: Yes, companies have been taken on board since 1980. And uh, what, what happened in the 80s um, was that they weren't able to keep women. So IBM, as example, one of our first clients had this study called, where did the women go? So they were recruiting women in sales, but they had a 40% turnover and they didn't understand why. And the assumption was that women just went home, you know, to have babies or do something else, which just wasn't the case. Only 7% of women who had left stayed home. So they they, they then did some real serious deep dive work around this and found that it was actually the fact that women did left because they didn't feel valued. They didn't feel value for their authentic self that they brought to the workplace. They felt like they had to be more like an alpha male guy. You know, so this is in the 80s, right? But I still see it in Silicon Valley today, you know, where younger women, engineers, for example, in STEM, feel forced to, to be more that bro culture, you know, part of that alpha culture. So that is the number one reason that why companies really take this on is that they want to fix this problem, right? They care and they want women to succeed. It's just that they don't know what they don't know. So that's why they hire us to to fix it in partnership with them.
2: Dr. Denise Walden, I imagine that many viewers and listeners might be thinking that, yeah, I can grasp how a lack of understanding of gender differences can impact our work and personal relationships. But tell us, how does it impact our health?
4: Well, the anatomy and physiology of men and women are very different. So there's differences from your lung to your brain, to your muscles, your ligament, and especially cardiovascular. It's a perfect example of how we've been trying to diagnose and treat the same diseases for men and women. And it's just not the case. So there are more and more, there's more and more science coming up, which is very exciting because women we lay down plaque differently. Men put that cholesterol into large vessels. We go to small vessels. That means we're missing the boat. And when we're looking for cholesterol in the large vessels of women, we should be doing a different diagnostic test. We present differently, sometimes about 72% of the time in a heart attack. Not, we don't have the same, necessarily the same two symptoms as a male. That was missed for years and we lost many lives because of it. In my opinion, I still see it going on women come in and they just think, oh, they have the flu or they've got nausea and sweating and vomiting, it's hormonal, go home. And it was actually a heart attack. So there are very big differences. microbiome. You know, we've been talking about that for a long time, the brain-gut connection there. It's now a study called microgenderome. We know the microbiome is different. The bugs are different in how they communicate with hormones and the immune system. This is big, it is huge, and we are very different, and we need to study it more in medicine.
2: Mm. Yeah. Well, when you think about it, I mean... Stress is the number one killer. We know that. We live in a very stressful world. We're always being told that. But the biggest source of stress has got to come in these interactions. You know, if we can't get on with one another at work and if we can't get on with one another at home, there's the killer.
4: Yeah. And men and women, for their stress coping mechanisms, women generally turn to food, men turn to alcohol and smoking. It's different because our brains are different. And that's what Barbara is really bringing to light with all of her work, how different it is.
2: Mm. Before we start looking at some of the differences, and it's really interesting to to hear what men have to say about the things, the challenges they have with women and the challenges that women have with men. I want to know how you, Barbara, first got involved in this area of research and how you, Dr. Warden, Wanted to work with Barbara on this.
3: Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, I started actually my career at Sony, and uh, I was the first woman in sales at Sony, and um, it was so interesting to me because I was very successful, and I was very authentic with my clients. But inside inside of the culture at Sony, they thought I lacked confidence, and they said even though you won, you know, salesman of the year, they actually called it that rookie salesman of the year. Uh, award and other awards, you know, you, there's no bullet in your gun, so you need to be more assertive, more in your face, kind of thing. So they sent me to uh, training in San Francisco called Guerrilla War Tactics for Women in Business, and I learned all these very extreme alpha male behaviors, and I took it back to Sony and applied it. And then at my at the year end, my manager did the assessment, said she's become a very dangerous woman. So I started with I lacked confidence and then I displayed confidence and I was dangerous. So I realized there's something off here. So what I realized was that it was the culture that was actually just such a male culture and women just didn't survive. I tried to hire one woman who lasted. Her name was Joanne and she lasted one year. Uh, and I remained the only woman for the eight years that I stayed there. And uh, and I left with embarking on really Understanding these differences from every aspect you can imagine from nature to nurture, sociology, psychology, neuroscience, you name it. And um, my privilege in in partnering with Dr. Wharton or Darnese has to do with the fact that we need to look at the whole person of both men and women. Because my daughter, my sister-in-law, at age 38, died of a heart attack, just like Darnese was just speaking about, on the front lawn of her A house going into her car and the friday before she was in urgent care saying she didn't feel good she said i feel awful there's something wrong and like donnie said go home take into tylenol and go to bed drink fluids you're good right so anyway that's how we met and that's how i embarked on uh this mission of mine for the last 30 years five weeks later as well
2: well, having done many, many um, shows with you, Dr. Warden, I know that you are absolutely dedicated to the whole person approach. So it's not really surprising once we understand how this affects our biology, um, You know, it's easy to see why you wanted to get involved with this.
4: It's just fascinating because Barbara brought to light um, the differences in the brain and what we understood. We do not learn gender intelligence in school. We learn neuroanatomy, how the brain basically works, but we are not taught the differences in the size, the structure and the function at each one of those and how they are different in men and women. That's why Barbara's book was just so fascinating when I was reading through it and hearing her speak that how are we not taught this in medical school? How are we? How is this not part of the picture? We already knew we should have been doing different labs because labs are based on 150-pound college-age male. We're using the same labs for a 60-year-old postmenopausal woman. It's just absolutely insane, in my opinion. Um, medically,
3: this needs to change as well. There's some good news. <clears throat> I'd like to share about that, that I recently found out. Dr. Larry Cahill, scientist is is finishing writing the first textbook for medical schools on gender differences in the brain. Yeah. So that is a massive breakthrough and he's incredibly thorough with a deep deep knowledge of these differences. So hooray for that. Hooray yeah. yeah. for that. Yeah. You know,
2: we've we've heard so much about um, equality in the workplace, you know, women have now have equality. And what does that actually mean? Um, many women don't feel that they do have, they may have a similar position, but they are not listened to in the same way. And as you said, with your experience, if a woman becomes assertive, you know, she's more likely to be called a little bulldog rather than wow, you know, there's a nice assertive person who can get things done. Not that the three
4: of us would know anything about that.
2: absolutely (laughs) not. Yeah, I mean, I remember I was the only female director among something like 10 directors in an advertising agency. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're you're doing equal work, but you are not getting equal um, attention and, you know, even the rewards. Mm -hmm. Um, So tell us some of the... Some of the errors in our thinking, I mean, what is it that men complain about most that they don't understand about women and vice
3: versa? Yeah, so there are many areas, but I'll start with a few. One of the things that men, men are confused. Men don't know what the rules are. So they end up being careful. So, and and what I mean by that is men are very rule-oriented. If you just give me these two things or three things to do, I'll do them, right? But what they find often is that they operate on certain rules or they've been brought up a certain way to be polite, open the door, lift heavy things, whatever. And now it seems to have changed from woman to woman. So it, it creates a lot of confusion around that. But if you see, if men are confused and careful, you can imagine how that lands for women, in, in terms of giving men giving women feedback, as an example, right? And they're more cautious. They'll go straight to Bob and say, Bob, you should fix these three things. And then they'll go to Sandy and go, Sandy, how are you? How's your day? You know, soft pedal the feedback, right? And that can land us feeling dismissed or excluded, right? So mm-hmm. you can see these challenges kind of, you know, kind of just encourage one another. If we don't solve them, they just perpetuate continuously, right?
2: You know, and it's, it's not just... Um... You know, between men and women in that regard, I remember reading Deborah Tannen's book uh, many, many years ago, back in the 80s, I think it was, and being shocked.
0: Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But MIDI Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected.
2: At the realization that our culture our parents you know they train girls to talk differently yeah. um, than men do and women are trained to have a much more conciliatory approach to men um, and men don't understand when women are trying to be conciliatory they often dismiss what the woman is saying because they're not aware of what it what it is she's doing
3: very nice And that is what we see even today, even in younger generations, is that men tend to be much more directive and women tend to be more suggestive, right? collaborative and inclusive. So if they state an idea, they usually will ask for input of others before they give their idea. And men will do the exact opposite. Men will say, I have a brilliant idea and I think we should do it. Right. And women are much more suggestive and inclusive. And that often gets dismissed. And I often use Madeleine Albright because we all know her. And she said, you know, years ago, she said, it's so interesting to me. You know, I over-prepare when I go to these all-male meetings. And I'll go in and I'll state my opinion. And it's not quite heard. And then three, four chairs down, it's restated by a man. And it's brilliant. And it's heard. And I'll say, didn't I just say that? I thought I just said that, right? And, uh, but men didn't pick up the suggestion, right? Because it wasn't directive, right? Okay. And it's just a reframing in how we speak so that we are heard. But if we don't know that, then we, we you know, it perpetuates that kind of sense of feeling dismissed or, or excluded or paraphrased for that matter. Yeah. Mm. So what is,
2: what is the biggest thing that men don't understand about women?
3: Well, first of all, women are different. And you know what? It's a good thing. And I always say that it's a good thing. There's strength in our differences. So if men begin to see that actually the way that she thinks, so here's the fundamental difference between men and women. Men used to use convergent thinking when they're thinking. They converge on a problem. They look at the pros and cons in a very linear way. Women used to use divergent thinking. So you look at a larger context. They interconnect all kinds of things. So it becomes much more complex in how men hear it. And often that's dismissive because it's off the agenda, because it's divergent. If men begin to see that actually that divergent thinking creates more innovation, increases collaboration, reduces conflict, increases morale, and it does, by the way, we have 30 years of evidence of that. Boy, that's a win, right? That's a win for men. And men want to win. And women want to be understood and valued, right? While winning, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a real win-win to understand these differences. But that was the foundational difference, I would say convergent thinking versus divergent thinking if you can just leave with that you you will have new eyes to see things and you'll get an enrichment of ideas uh, from women and women's brains that you wouldn't you would normally have dismissed I'm speaking to men right now yeah
2: one would think that women would be more open to what you're sharing than Mm -hmm. men would is that true
3: You know, it's very interesting. I I thought that in the beginning when I started. But the neuroscience, really, men loved, loved the science. I mean, it was just fascinating. And they would say things like, why didn't I know this 20 years ago? I would have been a different father or different boss or different colleague or partner. You know, I hear this all the time, all over the world. That neuroscience really opened them up. And women, women found the neuroscience so validating. They'll say things like, oh, I thought there was something wrong with me. You know, I've had a coach for three to five years, you know, to try and figure out what the heck is going on with me, right? I'm just wired differently, and and I need to really practice self-care. And this is back to what Donnie does so brilliantly, is how to really practice that self-care in a gender-intelligent way, you know? So there's a real richness here and a real freedom here. There is. And, you know, in speaking with um,
4: couples that will come to me sometimes, you know, I'm working on their mental, emotional health with them and their physical health, but they'll come as a couple sometimes and you see the struggle and I love that I bring in Barbara and saying um, her work taught me also and I tell them and it opens the door for men. I say, listen, here's the difference in your brains. You want it in a nutshell women's brains are always wiring and firing. They're always going. They really pretty much just don't shut off. Men can completely shut off most of their brain. The only part that's still working is in the back if they have their eyes open. So when a woman says to a man, what are you thinking? And he says nothing. And the woman gets very upset. It's real. Men can shut off, turn away, shut their brain down. That's how they they make more testosterone. That's how they can do that. But women never really believed it. So now they go, okay, I understand there's a communication issue here because of the function of how our brains work. Then it opens the door for men and women to start having the conversation they need to have.
3: Mm-hmm. And it's really important what Donnie's is saying because Back to what you are saying about testosterone, men need to take that space out. They need to take that time out to replenish their testosterone. And women need to talk it out, vent it, to to replenish their oxytocin, which is our distress hormone. So it's a real, how can we create that win-win in our relationship? I'm married to a judge. He's been a judge for a long time. And prior to that, I'm obviously a lawyer. And uh, he comes home, and I know he needs that time. It could be seven minutes. It doesn't have to be a long time. But I know that he needs that time out, you know, just the paper or whatever, you know, watch the sports or whatever. Mm-hmm. And and I need to talk things through. Right. And we we create that congruence in our relationship. And it mm-hmm. works as a beautiful dance if we don't resist these differences, but actually embrace them. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Dr. Warden, you do a lot of lecturing and you're lecturing to a lot of men. I mean, is this something that you have kind of naturally embodied and changed your language when you're talking to men as opposed to a room full of women? Or is this something new to you?
4: Um, In the last few years, somewhat new. But I will tell you always in lecturing to physicians, mostly, now I'm doing more public, but to physicians and mostly men in that room, I had to start out with the science. I had to establish credibility, or at least I thought I did at the beginning. Okay, she knows what she's talking about. She understands the science and the biology and physiology. She's teaching us. I trust her. And then I could bring on my personality. Then I could make them laugh, actually enjoy the lecture and not be bored by a bunch of science. But I had to establish that first. So I don't know with Barbara in the workplace, too, is that the way we're still having to. And that's what I need to flush out as well. Do I need that establishment right up front with the hard science with men still? I feel that I do. Maybe I don't. And I'm, I'm playing with it is the answer.
2: How do the men uh, respond to you when it is mainly men you're talking to and you go in and you present the science and then the personality? How do they respond?
4: They they enjoy my lectures. That's why I'm very popular on the CME continuing medical education lecture. But I will tell you there was one male. I think I was in UCLA. It's the only time it's ever happened at a huge audience. I was giving the science. I was doing all of this. And there was a male MD in the back that. Asked a very rude, in a very unprofessional, rude way, question at the end. I answered it. He continued to go after me, after me. And finally, I didn't have to defend myself. The audience did it for me. Both male and female turned around and told him pretty much to shut up because he was disrespectful. So really, I think it's how you present yourself as well. Um, I thought I was going to have to defend, but I really didn't have to. The audience did it for me because I had established a trust with them. and a a credibility and a liking that, you know, I I actually might like her as well. (laughs) Not just a teacher, but I might like her.
2: Mm. Barbara, you share um, some great stories, very illustrative stories in your book. Um, You know, there was the wonderful story about the woman who did all the work was going to an international conference and then her boss just took the paperwork and said, fine, I've got it. Mm -hmm. And she was as pissed as hell. Yes. (laughs) Yes. She was <laughs> Absolutely. And the advice you gave her was.
3: Well, first of all, a little more deeper to the story. Well, first of all, is to make the request saying I got this right and step in and, and, and not fold. She folded in that moment. Right. Yeah. But that's and, natural and became, for many women. Absolutely. You know, you're in that moment and you fold and you and then after that, you ruminate about it. And she was so upset by the time she flew. She was in Europe. By the time she flew back to Silicon Valley, you know, I was on a call with her. She was just ready to blow, you know, and quit and, uh, you know, et cetera. The reason that I gave that story is it happens so often is that women tend to do the grunt work. You know, they'll do prepare the deck, prepare the presentation, etc. And men gets on stage. It still happens today, you know, and it's back to what Dr. Denise was talking about, which is that credibility factor, you know, that we have to build it. She also hadn't built her credibility factor with her boss. She didn't explain how many hours she had spent on researching that deck. You know, it was 11 11 slides, but the amount of hours she had put into each slide, you know, so she could answer the questions. And in that presentation, that presentation actually failed. He said he got this, but he actually failed because he could not answer the questions. And she was sitting against the wall, you know chomping at the bit you know wanting to say wait I got it I got it I got it right so it's a huge frustration but I see it often where still you see today panels around the world of men and then a token woman but when, when you actually see who's taking the airtime on the panel it's the men still yeah. and you know it is shifting thank goodness Um, but it is back to what Dr. Denise said we need to build our credibility up front saying I know what I'm what I'm saying Paul Frederick who's a sociologist, said a wonderful quote. He said, when a man stands up and speaks, people listen. When a woman stands up and speaks, if they like what they see, they listen, right? (laughs) There's an added scrutiny that women still have to go through, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And as as women are younger, they have an even greater challenge. I mean, I'm sure you do brilliant young female doctors who are brilliant, right? Mm -hmm. I had an example of my, my dog got hit by a car and was really, really hurt, And there were two veterinarians and they were women, and and they looked like they were 19. But I had to to check my bias, and I had to really listen and say, Whoa, they know their stuff. But my initial reaction was, I want a 50 year old to treat. I want experience. That's right. I want experience now. Right. So, a
4: funny story, you guys, is my patients now will come in. I have all ages, but I'll have older patients, and they go, Well, you're really young. And I think I'm in my 60s, but they are still thinking. (laughs) <laughs> yes. They are sitting in front of a young doctor that they want experience. You know, they'd rather have the experience when I tell them, well, I've been doing this a long time, how old I am. Then all of a sudden it's okay. I'll yep. listen. Now, now I'll listen. It's very funny.
2: Well, youth loses its credit. Well, it doesn't have any credibility. I mean, we say that about policemen, don't we? Oh, the policemen are getting younger. Nobody respects policemen anymore.
4: Yeah. Well, yeah. young doctors, too, to your point, Aunt Barbara, is that they have – they're, they're smart, they're, yes. they're sharp, they've gone to school, but they don't have the years of experience that does add an extra layer, it really does. And I am biased, sometimes I want both. I want an opinion from both. The experience is different than the book learning. Yeah. It is,
2: For sure. especially mm-hmm. in
4: medicine. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, I really want to dive into this a bit more. I'd like our viewers and listeners to go away with some, you know, some strategies that they can begin to start employing straight away. Um, You're listening to What Is Going On. I'm Sandy Sedgbeer and I'm speaking with world renowned expert on gender diversity, And inclusive leadership, Barbara Annis, and naturopathic medical doctor, research scientist, and global health educator, Dr. Denise Warden. And we're talking about the latest scientific research into the biological differences that determine how men and women relate to and operate in the world. We'll be back with more from Barbara Annis and Dr. Denise Warden after this break.
1: Om Times TV. Imagine becoming a super influencer, reinvent yourself, invest in your brand, and then manifest your success with a robust, spheric approach. Own Times Media and Broadcasting offers a unique and multifaceted way to become the spiritual and conscious influencer you deserve to be by putting your message across our powerful platform with its proven record of integrity and excellence. Through our produced shows, Ohm Times offers the opportunity to become a social media TV personality, a radio show host, an Ohm Times magazine columnist, and a syndicated podcaster, all in one shot. By live streaming your show on Ohm Times TV and broadcasting it across the extensive Ohm Times radio and TV networks, you become more than a host. You become an ambassador and a force for positive change. times, open yourself to the possibilities.
3: If I could be you, and you could be me for just one hour. If we could find a way to get inside each other's minds. Walk a mile in my shoes. Walk Walk a a mile in in my my shoes. Well, before you
5: abuse, criticize and accuse, walk a mile in my shoes.
2: Barbara, Annis, tell us about blind spots. We all have them. We don't know what they are. What do we need to
3: be looking out for? Well, several blind spots, first of all, is, and I really want to share this around the the, the brain differences because the prefrontal cortex, as an example, is often, uh, lands as a blind spot because women will say something like this. They'll go, I don't think this is a good idea. And men will go, what are you talking about? Blind spots for men. Women will say, I don't have a good feeling about this. And I remember an engineer saying to a group of women saying, we don't have time for thoughts and feelings at work. We're just taking action, just action. Prefrontal cortex is the consequential thinking of the brain. It's the executive function of the brain. Women and girls developed earlier than boys, around 12 to 14 in boys. And now, by the way, recently, Dr. Denise, I just heard uh, six months ago, that it's even later in, I thought it was 18 to 22, it it could be now up to 30 years old that it develops in men, male brain. So what does that tell us? Women are much more risk wise and men are greater risk takers. They don't think of the consequences when they take certain actions. So combination of men and women working and winning together is that women can kind of provide that kind of, oh, wait a minute, long-term view of if we do this, this could have this impact studies there's a 40 year study done in the police force on when women work with men police officers together and women are at the front line in some emergency situations it actually diffuses the cases and when men are at the front line it escalates it completely that's one simple example around the prefrontal cortex that we really need to understand and we see it in the stock market when young men are taking these risk-taking early in the morning where their cortisol level, and you can speak to that, Dr. Denise, cortisol levels through the roof, they're taking these risks, uncalculated, un, not, un, not thoughtful in terms of the long-term implications of that short-term risk-taking. So that's one big, big blind spot that I see at home and in the workplace.
2: Dr. Denise, tell me a little bit more about the chemistry here.
4: Yeah, yeah, I mean... I you know, I'd like to say first, I mean, if there's a tiger uh, charging at you, I pretty much want the male brain involved at that moment because he's not going to think about what's happening around him. He's going to go for defense and shoot the arrow. A a, a female, we might be thinking, what do I want to do? How am I going to protect everybody? And that moment of hesitation could be life-threatening. So cortisol is the stress hormone it's adrenaline, you know, the, the the powerful hormone that we hear about mothers uh, lifting cars off their babies. It's powerful hormones. All of these stress hormones are supposed to be there when we're running from a bear or saving something under stressful situation. It's supposed to not be there when we're relaxed. So, it's how the brain utilizes it, when and how, and those differences in male and female, we do see it. When I do hormone testing, uh, first morning when you wake up, cortisol is supposed to be a certain level, it's supposed to go up within 30 minutes and then start calming down within an hour and stay in its range throughout the day. I find on my testing that a lot of men have more cortisol as soon as they wake up. Mm-hmm. And they have a different pattern than women. And I, you know, I think it's a function of women get up and we're thinking immediately, what do we need to do? But we may take more pause for the moment, in the moment in the morning, before we start running from that bear. So that's mm-hmm. that's that's a hypothesis at this point.
3: One uh, thing well, I love to add to that is I always say to women, if you're gonna negotiate with men, don't do it in the morning. Yeah. Wait, right. wait till the afternoon. Right. Far better negotiation solutions if you That's do right.
4: it. They're ready. They're in fight or flight mode.
3: They are. And is on fire. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. these things are really important in
2: our communication because, you know, we just go at it with one another sometimes without even thinking, reacting to whatever is going on or whatever yes. is frustrating or irritating us. But if we understood now's the not, to, not the right time to do that. You know, or if you approached it in a completely different way, Mm -hmm. the cortisol, cortisol levels might drop and he might be more willing to listen to you. Yes. And Sandy, for
4: your community, for your community, we've been studying the meditation sex differences in meditators since you know 2008. Very well done MRI studies. We know there are differences in the brain changes that happen. We all get better. We get larger and more functional, more neurons connecting in the hippocampus when we're meditators. But men, um, really, it goes across both left and right hemispheres of that particular uh, organ, the hippocampus, and that has to do with mood, learning, and memory. Men go more toward the left, the logical brain. Women um, really start developing more of the right brain, the intuitive section. So in meditation, we see there are differences. We're not quite sure what to do with it yet. But uh, men, uh, they start developing different assets from the meditation than women do Mm
0: -hmm.
2: with the same kind of meditation. What about hormones? I mean, women's hormones tend to fluctuate. Uh, We don't know, you know, certainly the average person doesn't know, you know, what kind of hormones, apart from testosterone, you know, are driving a man's behaviour. But um, does that come into it as well? Well, everyone's
4: hormones fluctuate. However, women, especially in childbearing years or perimenopausal time, they're a little—they're a little off. They—they they make us um, a little bit different than our normal thinking. So hormones do play into it. Men are more testosterone-driven, right? But they also have estrogen and progesterone. So hormones are a little more delicate in their ups and downs in females, but. Um, that's why the, the reasoning for not including women in studies at the very beginning, like Barbara brought up was because how are you going to study it at what time in the menstrual cycle, are we going to study this. So let's leave women out yep. because the hormones are so fluctuating. Let's just mm. study men because they're stable. They are more stable in their hormone fluctuations. That's why we got left out.
2: Mm. So yeah.
4: Yes, it does play into it. Um, all the hormones in, in cortisol, thyroid hormone, adrenaline, they all play in, not just the sex hormones, progesterone, estrogen and testosterone. So when we look at a person that's struggling, we really look at all the hormones. And there is a very big difference in male and female.
2: Barbara, you have a section in your book, Why Men and Women Live in Different Realities, as uh, Filters. And you talk about men's and women's sore. Toes.
3: Speak mm-hmm. to that a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I, I speak about sore toes in the sense that we don't tend to see people's sore toes, right? Because we tend to have shoes on. And uh, sometimes when we have a sore toe and we stumble on it, it, it just erupts, it right? And we get overreactive. And women, sometimes men think that women are overreactive when they feel either dismissed or excluded, right? But there is this water torture syndrome that we've experienced over you know, sometimes decades or years, right, of the same kind of challenges, and it gets super frustrating, right? And that's why I always say, if you can understand the top challenges that women experience, the top challenges men experience. So here they are. So again, as I mentioned, women tend to feel excluded. So that's the real meaning after after the meeting or the topic of the conversation, you know, sports or something like that. Women tend to feel uh, dismissed. Um, and that is, again I state an idea it's repeated or restated or reframed right and women feel they have to fit in right in terms of speaking like a man I do have to do men speak I often hear women say you know I feel like I'm a foreigner when I go to work I feel like I'm a foreigner in my own country you know because I feel I have to take this pseudo armor and be a certain way and I, I you know you might think that that's the baby boomer challenge but I hear it in young women and uh, It's so interesting. I had a young woman, she was in her late 20s. She said, My mother, things have changed. And I said, How? She said, I come home, she says, I'm harder. I'm more direct. I'm tougher. I'm dressing differently. I'm not wearing skirts anymore, you know? Uh, And uh, I have this edge to me. And I said, And that's just not me, you know? And so she felt like she'd kind of been forced into that. And that's a, a 20 something that is feeling that, right? Now, the challenges for men, is again, they feel, first of all, men feel blamed. So when you think about gender equality or, you know, you just don't understand or these kind of things, men feel blamed for being men. And I always say, let's honor our differences and not blame our differences, right? And then again, men feel careful and confused. One of the things that I look at when you look at conflict, because these could be conflictual situations when these things happen, is I love the acronym that Dr. Virginia Satir, which is in my book, Called Sarah, and it stands for Sarah S-A-R-A. So when, when an upset happens or a challenge occurs, or a blind spot for that matter, between men and women, uh, we go through these different feeling stages. One is shock. Oh my goodness, what happened? The shock. And then there's anger, and then there's rejection, and then there's acceptance. Men, when things are unresolved, men tend to get stuck in anger. And women tend to get stuck in rejection. And when that occurs and we don't get into acceptance and we act out of that, it just escalates the conflict, right? Because she's seeking understanding because she feels rejected and he's angry, defensive, right? Which gets her more rejected. So I always say, don't take any action or say anything. Don't text, don't email, don't do anything until you've reflected on it and gotten to acceptance. You have a whole different line of sight when you can see it from that perspective. And I always use a per- personal example, for example, with my husband, Paul, you know, when I'm upset, I'll say, you know what, I'll get back to you on that Monday at noon. <laughs> and I want to talk about it till Monday at noon, you know, and at noon, we talk about it and it takes five minutes. If I'd done it before that, it would take much longer and it would just have escalated. Right. So it's a good, good framework to use. Yeah. The thing
2: is that women tend to want to resolve it straight away and they can't rest until yes. they have, whereas,
3: and that's probably the wrong thing to do. To fix it, it. Is. Yeah. it is. I mean, men need that space, that time out, right? Often yeah. it takes boys, for example, psychologists, it takes boys up to seven hours to sort, sort out what they're feeling about something. And girls and women can speak about their feelings right there, right there. I feel this, it's instant, right? Yeah. And it's harder for boys and for men to do that. So we also have to give each other space, you know, to do that as well.
2: I think the other thing that surprised me in the book is uh, you know, how women take everything personally. It's all we, personal and men don't. Yeah, it's
3: it really is so, if, if one thing you could take away as, as women is this thing about us internalizing things. See, women ruminate. So when something goes wrong, we tend to ruminate. Now, let's talk a little bit about the neuroscience. The hippocampus, in the brain is larger in women and that's the memory centers of the brain so we retain a lot of emotional content in our brain we remember everything relational memory men have brilliant memory when it comes to factual memory they can remember stats sport you know scores all cars all kinds of statistical things right but the relational side of it doesn't compute as well for men so i just had a perfect example of this Uh, of a a woman that spoke to me about her relationship and she i'm danish and she's from copenhagen as well she's a friend and i said and she said i will turn she texts me and she said i will turn my back if he ever does this again and i go okay and then i got on the phone with her and I said when did he do this again and she went in 1982 (laughs) 1982 i said has he ever done that since she goes no but if he ever does, I'm yeah. turning <laughs> So we get stuck in this memory, yes. drain, you know, and we ruminate and we personalize it and we internalize it. Yeah. So if we can just say, and I say this to myself all the time, it's not personal. It's yes. not. Per- He's having his little snowstorm over there. I don't <laughs> take snowstorms personally. Do I? No. So mm. let's have, him have his little snowstorm. Right. Uh, so we don't internalize it because it's back to Dr. Denise, the stress level when we ruminate is just so costly to our health.
4: It is. It is. And we forget that simple things of, of those tools that we're talking about, Sandy, laughter is huge. Barry and I, my husband, we start to get into something and we, we've learned, we've become emotionally intelligent about this and, and now gender intelligent about the all of this. Mm-hmm. But we laugh and we'll call each other our parents. Like I'll say, we're you're acting like Ben, or that was a Ben comment, or I'll say, that was a, he'll say to me, that was a Don, my dad comment. And we've learned to laugh because we recognize quickly what's going on. And then we turn it into humorous about our differences, gender intelligence, differences. And then we can work through it or we wait, like Barbara said, we say, okay, let's laugh about this. Let's come back to it later and we'll discuss it. So it's been important. And then music, as you know, Sandy and Barbara as well, you know, music is a great way when that stress is coming in, we're trying to decide what to do or how to do it. Music is a great way to shift your emotion very quickly out of where do you, where are you and where do you want to go? Music is one of the fastest ways because to tell a man to meditate, immediately, that can be more stressful for them. In fact, they so the studies show that men sometimes, when they're trying to meditate and when they're stressed, it actually makes them more stressed. Yes. Women, it helps. So we've got to be careful of not saying, does everybody go quiet your mind and b- meditate? I really think music is a key.
3: Very
2: important. Yeah. 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 Um, Do you so- find, um, Barbara, that although you say that men are in the workplace that you speak to are very open to
3: this, that it's women who read your books, yes, definitely, and that's consistent with uh, any personal development books. Between mm-hmm. eighty and nine percent are read by women. It doesn't mean that women don't hand it over and say, "Take a look at this," right? Yeah. Yeah. John Gray, uh, women from Mars, men, from, uh, women from Venus, men from Mars. Um, you know, he sold fifty million books, 5-0, 50 million books. And I asked him when I co-authored the book, "The Blind Spot for Men and Women in the Workplace." I asked him. How many? What percentage of women bought it? He said ninety-two yeah, percent. And I correct. said, and I said, do you think the men said, "Oh yeah"? The women would pass it over, or they would read <laughs> it together, or they would join a workshop with that, that I led. So yeah. the men do get engaged, but yeah, definitely women are are the readers and the learners. Yeah. Well,
4: same with medical care. Men don't come generally. If I have a male come, I'll say, "What?" Well, they have to be in extreme pain or very afraid, or they have cancer. Otherwise, I say, "What? What woman drug you here?" It's literally. Yeah the
2: reason why they will not come. Yeah, yeah, Um, I watched a very interesting um, little play out in my house the other day. Um, My son had been somewhere with um, my grandson, football match or whatever it was, and there were some people there, and um, he was telling his wife that uh, they, you know, he was talking to so-and-so's mum, and and she said, "And, and what did you learn? And he gave her one little piece, and she said, well, what did you learn about the family? What did you learn about this? What did you learn That's about true. that? And okay. it was absolutely classic because, That's you know, true. a woman will find out everything That's and true. the man will only find out what what's That's useful true. to know.
3: Yep. That's absolutely correct. And it's yeah. often very frustrating because women misinterpret men as not caring mm-hmm. because women yeah. men aren't as explorative as women are, right? And, yeah. and I can remember my husband's um, best friend called him a few years back said Angela is leaving me let's go for a beer and so I'm on pins and needles for a couple of hours and he comes home and said so what happened was Angela what happened He said oh we didn't talk about it yeah that's right I drank a beer (laughs) we didn't talk about it no we were just (laughs) hanging out just hanging out yeah 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 the
2: subtle nuances I think women are much more interested in everything
3: women women show a different way of caring exploring yeah. to show empathy and concern and men tend to respect the person's independence and privacy and not wanting to pry. Yes. so yeah. they both have the best of intentions right it's just a difference that i always say mother Teresa's quote understanding means there's nothing to forgive and i think that's a great if we just understand and we just learn about this Everything will just reduce down. I mean, I can't remember the last time I've had arguments, you know, because I I've just been able to exercise this muscle of understanding, of standing in the other person's shoes, and really listen, and and gain more insight to really understand some of these differences, right? Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, one of the um, things I always try to bear in mind is um, Don Miguel Ruiz's book, The Four Agreements. Mm-hmm. It's not personal. Yes. You know, because I know that I will always take responsibility for something. It's my fault. It's, it's all about me, you know, and I have to think it's not personal. Yes. If you were to um, offer people some advice, mm-hmm. right now, small pieces of advice, but, you know, life-changing advice, what would it be?
3: First of all, I would say three things, right? Make no assumptions, right? Uh, don't resist this learning. So there's a lot of conversation around binary, you know, all of that non-binary conversation. Okay. When we talk about gender intelligence, we're talking about sex differences, biological differences. There, are, When you talk about gender, it could be nurture and there could be a whole host of different differences. We're talking about 95% of us either have XX or XY chromosomes. And that's a 95% of the population. It would be really useful to understand the biology of these differences. So I would say, make no assumptions don't resist the learning there's such deep learning for you whether you are wife partner parent boss colleague friend there's that deep learning and then let's stand in each other's shoes and really listen really listen there's nothing more powerful when men and women feel heard and understood i really see that yeah, yeah. that's dr it. warden
2: yeah so I was which thinking? angle would you come at this
4: Well, that certainly what Barbara's saying is is, is rings true for most people. I think they understand it. And then it's like, how do I do it? How will I accomplish this? That goes back to your self-care. That goes back to, you also need to be understanding of yourself. If you know you, if you know yourself well, then you can manage these things. You can learn and you can make changes. You can teach an old dog new tricks. You can, but the way you do it is, we have to understand ourselves at a deeper level. So that's doing the spiritual work, the mental emotional work and the physical work to get yourself to the, to the place where you know who you are. When you do, the learning comes and then the relationships um, come and become much easier because if you're still struggling with your own identity, it's going to be hard to play with others in the sandbox nicely.
3: I would it's- love to add one more thing that you just spurred as an insight for me, Dr. Denise, mm-hmm. is the worry. Mm-hmm. Women worry a lot. Yes. And often when women worry in the workplace, men think that women lack confidence. Yeah. Really important to understand that. It's not true. It's not that we are failing. We we, we just see more into situations. We're worried about our team. Sheryl Sandberg, who's recently re- resigned, you may have different opinions about her. But she said, burned out. I did a study um, last year, and I said, well, there was a very simple survey, yes or no, do you feel burned out? 92% of women said they felt burned out. Yeah. And then we did 82 focus groups around that, and we found that women over worry, right? We over worry about everything. And it's really, and part of that is our female rumination of personalizing, internalizing. So really, I always say, commit yourself to short-term suffering. So what I say to myself, okay. Is it going to be useful for me to worry about this right now? Will it make any difference whatsoever? Is there any cheese down that tunnel? And if I say no, I let it go. Let it go. If you can't make an impact, let it go. And that's back to Dr. Denise talking about self-care, that we can really practice that self-care and and not fall into that trap of what we're worrying. Mm
2: -hmm. This is something that is so fundamental to life. You know, it it really does need to be taught in schools, doesn't it? Yes. Yes. How do we do do that? How do we, you know, how can you expand this into schools? I mean, you've already met, you know, changed uh, and pioneered so much change and transformation in the workplace. But what about getting them when they're really young?
3: Well, we actually partnered with Pearson Education, which is the number one educational company in the world, and we, prefer, we have uh, developed a uh, e-learning, digital learning that we are offering uh, next October, unfortunately not September, but October, for free to schools. So it's called Be Gender Intelligent. And it's an it's a interactive, you know, gamification type of learning. So that um, I, I really wish that teachers would take that on because we really find that in elementary school, actually, 90 about 90 percent or 95 percent are young women teachers or or female teachers and they're misinterpreting boys and how they learn because boys learn differently than girls and boys are being interpreted as having attention deficit disorder when they just learn differently they can't sit still Mm -hmm. you know they can't pay attention as much too many words at at boys or men for that matter tune out boys and men tune out if there's too many bombarded with too many words and that type of So it's really important, that gender intelligence. I wish we knew it in day one, you know. Um, So there are many, many books out there by Dr. Leonard Sachs, Why Gender Matters, that talk about Michael Gurion, The Wonder of Boys, The Wonder of Girls. Some really good books that, uh, you know, you could read that talks about the younger generation and how parents can be gender intelligent. But I agree, it needs to be in schools and uh, put me out of business. That would be great.
2: What about... um... You know, we're seeing a huge growth in um, transgender. Many, many of our youth are, you know, very curious about and maybe experimenting or maybe know that they internally feel that they're the opposite gender. How does this work? If somebody feels they're transgender, Mm -hmm. how does the neurology work? Mm
3: -hmm. Yeah, I know Dr. Nunes can speak to this, but I'll, I'll kick it off. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, we're seeing definitely a shift there. Um, there are a lot of doctors that have a huge concern about the age of when that decision is being made because the prefrontal cortex hasn't developed, the brain hasn't developed, and there is this sense, especially girls or some boys, feeling disconnected in, in that. We see a lot of girls today in California, there's actually a plastic surgeon, that his only practice is to remove breasts of... Eleven-year-old girls. Yeah. He's made it's his brand. I can't remember what it's called, sizing or something like that. Oh, yeah, it's just crazy. Dr. Leonard Sachs, actually, anyone who wants to go online and, and look at Dr. Leonard Sachs' work, he talks a lot about that and his concern about the timing of that. It doesn't mean that there aren't people, men and women, who who need to and want to transgender. And then there's another uh, man online amazing human being transpa is called transpa instead of grandpa he transgendered in his 40s he now is in his 60s and he says that as a man and he looks like a man he says that he still feel he's wired as a woman inside and it's really created a lot of chaos for him in his life so there's huge complexity yes we need to understand and honor the ones who authentically want and need to do that but i think there's such a morass of confusion of the timing of it in terms of its age. And that's what Dr. Lenin Sachs really contributes greatly. I don't know, Dr. Denise, if you have anything to oh, add. I, oh,
4: I agree with that. And, you know, you were bringing up that we now know that the male brain, especially it's, it's in the thirties. We used to think it was younger before it's fully developed. How are you going to make life altering and changing decisions when we don't have that full capacity yet? So that's of concern. And we, how many of, us at whatever age have a really strong self-identity to make those kinds of changes. So as children, that is worrisome. I think we're, we're, we're letting things happen a little too soon, in my opinion. Uh, but again, it's a personal choice. It's an honor. And we've got we've to roll with the punches here, guys. But I, I will say that honoring and understanding that sexuality, sexual preferences and all that, is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a brain difference yeah. in gender intelligence that you can see in utero after how many months is it, Barbara? Three it's to four Second and third
3: trimester. Second, yeah.
4: Third trimester, we can yeah. see the brain and know whether it's functioning as a male or female yeah. because of these structural changes, uh, structural differences that we're talking about. So that's real. That's a physical, mechanical reality. It's not necessarily yeah. sexuality.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm afraid we're out of time and we're going to have to leave it here. But this is, this is such a fascinating subject and such an important one. Um, I'd really like to be kept abreast of anything else that's emerging and uh, talk about it some more
3: later on. Absolutely. Um, I'm open to that anytime. Thank you. Good.
2: Well, Barbara Annis, Dr. Donnie Warden, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Barbara Annis's book, Same Words, Different Language, a proven guide for creating gender intelligence at work, not just for work, but for relationships too, is published by Pearson's. For more information about Barbara's work, visit genderintelligence.com. And you can learn more about Dr. Denise Warden at drwarden.com, which is D-R-W-O-R-D-E-N. That's it for today's show. I'll be back at the same time next week with another edition of What Is Going On. Till then, it's goodbye from me. Thank you. Thank you, ladies.